Jonathan Wakefield is a brewmaster and founder of Miami's renowned Jay Wakefield Brewing. Now he's opening up his internationally acclaimed tap room at Sirius XM Business Radio for an intimate look at the intersection of craft beer and popular culture. So pull up a chair, have a round on us, and join the conversation on the business of brewing. This is the Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield on Sirius XM Business Radio. Welcome, everyone. I'm Jonathan Wakefield, and this is the Beer Hour on Sirius XM Business Radio, Channel 132. Each week, we talk about the craft beer business and whatever else is on our minds. My first guest this week is Andrew Berman. He is the co-founder of Other Half Brewing in Brooklyn, New York. In 2014, Andrew, along with Sam Richardson and Matt Monahan, founded Other Half Brewing. Their mission was simple, to create beers that they wanted to drink from a company that they wanted to be a part of. It only took a few years for Other Half to become known as New York's hottest craft brewery and the official craft beer of Wall Street. Their flagship beer, All Green Everything, became the gold standard of New England IPAs just as the style was beginning to boom. Today, Other Half has four locations and is the top destination for craft beer lovers visiting New York City. Their beers also have an amazing international following. So, uh, welcome to the Beer Hour, Andrew. How are you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. I just kind of want to go back before we get into the business and kind of give some background on you, like where you came from, because you didn't start in beer. So, kind of want to explain to everybody out there, like, what your background is beyond uh, being the Talboy for the University of Maryland lacrosse team. Uh, yeah, I kind of have a varied background, to say the least. Um, I started um, as a chef um, probably like 20 years ago at this point in time. Um, wasn't sure what I was going to do out of college. You know, my pro football career didn't, didn't pan out as I thought it would. Um, <laughs> so I started uh, working at a culinary school and um, eventually got my degree and then um, went to come up to New York to get a, a, my degree, a, a grad degree from a, um, NYU and then ended up um, cooking in kitchens and staying that way for about 10 years. Um, opened a couple places, opened, finally opened my place. Um, that was a huge, huge failure. Um, almost got divorced. And then um, Matt, Sam, and I figured we should start doing a, a brewery. And um, we sort of did some dinners together and did some fun stuff. And we're like, oh, we're, we were just dumb enough to think it could work. And uh, so I think, <laughs> all, but I will say that the background that I had in, in being a chef and organizing and using uh, labor and, and looking at the bigger picture has, has really helped out. Um, as I'm sure with Maria as well, who's, who had a background in cooking, is um, it does it, it it makes you look at the the puzzle piece of your business um, a lot easier, um, and you can see how people are you know certain people were better at you know line cooks and some people are better at pastry cooks and some people are better bartenders, um, and so you sort of you know are able to see the the field a lot better. And I think that cooking um, and being a chef really really helped me with that. So, you, right, you have two other partners, Sam Richardson, Matt Monahan. Where did you guys actually, where did you guys meet? How did, how did it all happen? Uh, so um, Matt and I actually were friends first. Matt grew up probably a mile and a half from where I grew up in Maryland, um, but we didn't really know each other. He ran in a similar circle, but I didn't really know him until um, my older brother did know him, um, but I, I didn't meet him until, uh, college, uh, until I was up in New York, and um, I needed some help. I was doing a, a gig out in the Hamptons, and I needed some help, and uh, – a friend of mine was like, oh, you should hook up with this guy. You, you probably have some things in common. And uh, just hit it off. I mean, I love Matt. He's a, he's a great guy. Um, he well, I mean, has he, great, he, great I mean, passions. He was a swimmer, so, like, no one really hangs out with swimmers anyway. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, they have a great, 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 passionate guy. He loves, um, you know, loves food, loves beer, uh, was home brewing, and we sort of hit it off. And then um, 
uh, as I was, you know, working as a chef and one of my friends needed a pop, a chef for a pop-up. Uh, in, in Soho and I started doing it and then I was like hey do you want to do the beer for this and Matt was like well I could but Sam's much better than I am we should just get him to do it and so <laughs> that was a, the relationship Matt was already working at uh, Greenpoint Beer Works um, and, and that's where Sam and, was and, too right? can, exa- exactly that's where Sam was yeah. um, and uh, we just became friends uh, or, or whatever word you want to use <laughs> um, and uh, <laughs> just uh, um, hit it off and, and somehow made it all work what did um, so? Where does where did where does the name come from? Like other half, like where did you guys generate that from? It's funny. There's there's two different stories. One I distinctly remember Sam saying that like there's a German phrase where like um, in brewing that that you know the yeast, the hops, the water, the grain are all the same, and the other half is what the the brewer puts into it. Um, but then now we use a story where we're the other half of the industry, and we're like the smaller guy compared to these. Um, you know, the big, the big players. Um, and so both, both stories work, but, uh, you know, I like the more, you know, old school. One. <laughs> I like, I like, I like the German reference. I do. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you, man, what you guys, so you guys started in 2014. I remember visiting, I think I came and visited you guys or the tap room when it was just, that was 2015. Was it 2015? Yeah. You went yeah. with Dave. Right. I was up there and I came by and I think, I don't think you were there yet. I mean, you were you were part of it, but I don't think you were there that day. And you guys had the place in Brooklyn across the street from the McDonald's. And walked in, and, and the tap room was, I mean, it wasn't very big. I think you used to have, like, what, five, six beers on tap? Uh, uh, yeah, 12, I, mean, I think it was 12 beers at the beginning, eight, eight beers went out. I mean, how did you guys pick, how'd you guys pick that location? Like, I mean, that's, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's a mecca now. Yeah. Yeah, and so uh, Matt actually found it, um, Matt was one of the driving forces that to get open. Um, we were looking at placing, um, we were looking at putting a brewery somewhere in Brooklyn. Couldn't figure out where, couldn't figure out where. Um, finally we're, we're about to sign a lease, um, a little further into Red Hook, actually on the water, like on the water that was in an old warehouse. That was really, really cool. Um, but then Sandy hit. So the place was uh-huh. under 11 feet of water and we're like, yeah, we probably shouldn't sign it. And the landlord was kind of an asshole. Um, and, <laughs> And uh, he wanted like, ten, I think he wanted $10,000 just to sit down and talk about the lease. Oh, and we're like, wait, this doesn't count to our down payment. He's like, no, this is just to know that you're serious. And we're like, whatever, dude. <laughs> um, and then Sam, uh, Matt was just on Craigslist, Craigslist looking at places and this place went up for rent um, and we grabbed it. And, and we've been fortunate enough that uh, we got the one warehouse and then, you know, there was a, a Georgian uh, importer next to us, uh, Georgia, the country, not the state uh, was next to us. Um, got that, that space when they moved uh, further into Brooklyn. Um, and, you know, we've been able to grow. We got the warehouse in the corner. So it's been uh, serendipitous and, 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 and nice that we were able to keep growing in the same spot. How many barrels were you guys doing in 2015 out of that location versus what you're doing now? Ooh, 2015, I think we were doing about 5,000. Um, but even then, uh, 2015, we just were canning every other week, I think. Right. And so it was still you know, 500 cases of beer. Um, and that's it. Those right. two batches of beer. It wasn't very much beer. And we, we still distrode a lot of it. We distrode, we, up until the pandemic, half of our production went into kegs. Right. Um, and went into New York, Manhattan, Queens, Brooklyn. And, but now how much are you guys doing out of that location now to kind of give a scope out of that location? I think we're going to do about 13, 13 yeah. to 15, depending on our run rate right now. Yeah. 13, um, 15,000 barrels, which uh, that's a lot. 
Just for our listeners, one barrel is equal to 31 gallons so that you know what we're yeah. talking about. Yeah, you, you can use that. I say one barrel is, I was like, uh, you remember, you remember keg, keggers like in college? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, well, that's a half barrel. So two of those are one barrel. And yeah, like, there oh, okay, you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you've seen this exponential growth, I mean, over time. And now you guys have four locations, right? Yep, four right now. So you have the one, we, the one in Brooklyn. Yeah. You've got Rochester. You've got Dumbo, which is the newest one. No, that's Domino Park. No, no, I mean, Domino, Domino Park. Park. I mean, my, my bad. And then you have another large production facility in Washington, D.C., kind of back to your home state, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So we have the D.C. is our, you know, more of like a heavier manufacturing. It's bigger tanks, huge four-vessel, 30, 30 um, four-vessel, 30-barrel tanks um, made for the Stouts and the double IPAs. Um, Center Street. Domino, which is a small batch, and then uh, Finger Lakes Rochester one. And, right and the Finger Lakes is more like your experimental. Uh, it's where you're doing the wild. Well, uh, it, it, they, they still make a lot of IPA. Um, they still they do. Uh, you know, they're still making. They turn they turn what they can every week. Um, it's a little bit more laid back there, but they definitely are great brewers and um, great beers coming out. Um, it's it's definitely the more relaxed of facilities. Um, uh, just because of where it is. I mean, it's in like on eight acres of land overlooking the, the, the field right, and yeah. has like, you know, farmland and it's, it's very nice. It's a much better place to work than in the underneath the BQE. <laughs> underneath the overpass. Yes. <laughs> As a total company now between the four locations, how many barrels do you think you guys are going to put out overall? Um, we're looking in the neighborhood of about 20 right now, going up to like, I think 18 this year. It really depends. This whole, Getting done with COVID is where we're like sort of uh, figuring out where we're going to, what goes next, what happens next. Um, and that's where we're, we're um, not having troubles, but having, you know, just the opportunity to figure out where, where the beer goes in cans and kegs and where we ship and where we um, go. And then, you know, I'm sure it's the same with you. It's like how, what stays from what happened with COVID um, in terms of, you know, does curbside pickup stay, does shipping stay, does does our home delivery stay? And that's where we're trying to figure out what's best. Right. Cause you guys, you guys train, I mean, kind of like we did, like we started, but we, it didn't last very long with like the home deliveries. But I think where you guys are at in such a, you know, dense population area like that, I mean, to me, I mean, are you guys keeping the home delivery? Um, you know, it's, it's funny. We, we just talk, started talking about it last night about what we want to do. I think it, there are some, the Westchester, the Long Island are, 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 are good for us. Um, and so is Manhattan. Uh, but, you know, some of the areas, because we have Domino now, got much less. And because we, you know, have pop-ups here, they got much less. So trying to figure out what is actually worth doing and, and getting uh, data for it and then making conclusions that, you know, make staffing correct and drivers and all that stuff. Uh, we'll probably keep it for the couple, you know, a while longer just because it does still move some product. Did you have to start, like, a whole shipping thing once you guys really started doing that Logistics. kind of because that's another, that's uh, yeah. a whole another like nightmare. <laughs> yep, it was a whole number nightmare. We do about um, about a hundred cases a week in shipping, um, and we'd have another warehouse a little bit further in um, from into Red Hook um, that has uh, all our shipping materials and all the UPS pickups and all that stuff. Um, and it's uh, we have uh, a full time dedicated online you know shipper guy that helps out everything. Jose was amazing, um, and then he has you know two to three staff that come in on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, pack everything out. Along oh, yeah. with the normal stuff, where merch store and things like that. Yeah, I, I don't think people realize how hard that actually is. Like people are like, "Oh, just you know, let me buy your beer and you ship it to me." 
it, it just never equates. It's never that easy. I mean, there's so much more that goes into yeah. that. And that's why, like, I've never, I mean, legally we can't by the state of Florida, we can't ship beer out of the state. We can't actually ship beer in the state either. But I, I know a lot of states that allow that, but it's just another chunk to the business that you now have to worry about and figure out and it's just logistics and, and packing and shipping and it's it's just so much more that adds to the plate but I mean it does help in the overall picture if it's done right at least I mean that's mm-hmm. what I believe um, so when, when I came to know you guys and how you guys really took off is to me you guys are one of the founders of the hazy IPA New England style IPA I mean you guys own to me you guys are New York City I mean, it, that style represents you. What, and I think it was all green everything that you guys started with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. There's a, there, there, when we started, there was a couple uh, beers that are still flagship stores, green diamonds, um, and, uh, and all green everything were ones that really pushed us in the forefront and put us, you know, on the map. I think that, you know, back then, uh, I think whatever, eight years ago now, seven and a half years ago, it was a different world of crap beer. There, there, we were the first brewery to open in New York since six point eight years before that or something. Um, and now there's one opening every two weeks, it seems. Um, it was a definitely a different world. And, and, you know, this hazy IPA thing wasn't wasn't fully fleshed out yet. It wasn't what we all think of these heavy hopped, fruity, high ABV beers. Um, we were, everyone was still trying to figure it out. You know, Treehouse wasn't Treehouse and Trillium wasn't Trillium. Right. And I think we all sort of filling it out. And, um, you know, there wasn't the, the adjunct, the adjunct the stouts yet. And there wasn't this whole no. whole market that we sort of created. No, it's it's absolutely different now. I mean, you guys. I mean, you guys still, your IPAs are still your your mainstay, but you've added to the portfolio now. I mean, you guys do everything really. I mean, up in the Finger Lakes, you're doing the the wild fermentation or the mixed cultures. You guys are doing lagers. You're doing adjunct stouts. You're doing sours. I mean, you've got. I mean, how long did it really take you guys to kind of? open that whole portfolio just beyond IPAs? I mean, it's kind of something you kind of grow into, or was this kind of like a fast thing that you guys did? Um, you know, it was, I think the, it, it wasn't fast because I think we're, you know, for being a smaller company, we're still, we react as quickly as possible, but it still takes a while. Um, I know Sam was, was really thought that there was a, a hole in the market for stouts and he really wanted to push forward. Um, hence the conversations he had with you and, you really mentored us to get us, uh, you know, move stouts better and have better, um, you know, a better product for, for our customers. Um, and, and, you know, whether that's lagers or, you know, saisons and sours and things like that, it's just, it's always been an evolving market. And, and it's, I think a lot of it's played to on, on premise now with four bars, um, there is a certain amount of like, well, what are people going to drink here? What do they want? Like they want, we don't want to board with, with 20, with 18 IPAs and two stouts. Right. We wanted to have like, okay, there's 10 IPAs and two lagers and two sours and, and two stouts and stuff like that. And I think that's where a lot of the innovation happens because we needed it for in-house drinking and we needed it to, to make the customer experience better. I think uh, for everybody out there, there's like two sides to the business. Like when you set up a business model in craft beer, you either, I mean, if you're large enough, which you would have to be large enough to do just a distribution only model or which for us, me, you, the other guys that we know well, is distro with a tap room. And for us, the tap room being where people can actually physically walk into your establishment and drink a beer on your premise at the brewery. And it's a vital piece for us. Like, it is a major part of our business. I mean, and I would have to imagine that it's the same for you guys. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a complete different business and it's a complete different, like, you know, that's where my focus was when we started and it's gone into more things, but like, there's nothing, it's it, it, being the front of the house and being this, these tap rooms is, is, is a complete different business than, than what we were, you know, wait, you, you make beer, you know, Sam makes beer. Right. Sam doesn't really want to deal with, uh, you know, the front of the house employees and Right. It's just, it's something where we had to evolve and really get better. I mean, you, you know, Anthony, um, and Anthony was our first, um, Anthony Finley was our first, uh, like tap room employee. And he did the bar for, I think, you know, for the first four years he was at, on the bar every single day, it seemed. Um, but he, you know, it's, it's, it's getting that personalities and getting that business and getting people excited to come in because you have to turn the board enough, but also have like a varied product. It's, it's where I think it's fun because you make decisions that actually impact your business quickly. You're listening to the beer hour and we're talking to Andrew Berman of other half. Yeah. I mean, to me, the, the tap room is quintessential. Like I don't think we'd be in business without it. I mean, it's such, I mean, the difference between the margins you make inside in your own home serving beers to customers versus outside is, is a vast, vast it's, difference. It's also the experience that's created for your customer, you know, uh, a lasting it's like walking into a restaurant and having a meal and good service and all these other things it's, or takeout but it's all about right. experience right. you know um and that's what people are looking for nowadays i don't know if you've noticed that pivot where everyone's just kind of like looking for something that's uh instagram post worthy or you know things like that i've noticed that a lot more anyway across all boards i think yeah. And I think that's one of the things where it's, it's, it, it has been hard. You have that Instagram culture of like that top 2% of beer, you know, people who really are looking for that next out, that next sour, that next, whatever. Um, and then there's that 98% that are like beer tourists and they want to come in, they want to have fun and they want to, um, or the, you know, or they want to, um, you know, have an experience of just having fun and something secretive. Like that's one thing, like being under the BQE, we're still kind of a secret. Like you come in and you're like, this is really Brooklyn. Like, you know, that everyone always says that, you know, like, we try to be Brooklyn. It's just like running the BQE across the street from McDonald's. Like it lends itself <laughs> to that. And I think that, um, as we try to recreate experiences across our locations, each one is different, but somehow has to still be that, um, you know, we, we talk about that club mentality a lot in, in, at other half where like there is no cost to entry, but you got to try the product to be in the club. You know, you have that product, you try it and you're like, man, this is awesome. I want to go try it at the source. I want to go try this new thing. I, you know, I only drank lagers. Now I try this pale ale. Now I try this triple. Now I try this adjunct, you know, stout, whatever it is. Like you, you give them the taste and then they're like, this is really cool. And they want it more and more and more. And I think that's the experience that we're always looking for, um, for our, from, from our staff and from our locations. Yeah. I mean, definitely it's, it, it's about supplying experience for the people that walk in the front door, uh, hands down without that. I would be, I think people would, there'd be no drive drive for them to want to come in and try the beer itself. I mean, beyond it just being a great product, I mean, they, they do want that surreal experience once they step inside the door. Um, I do want to talk about a few years ago, you guys were mentioned in the New York Times, and they were... Oh, my God. <laughs> they, well, back when this was a thing, like, because we used to be part of that as well, you know, they wrote about people waiting in line to get your beer for 11 hours, and that Wall Streeters were paying top dollar on a secondary market for your beers. How, how did that impact you guys? You know, it's funny. I don't think it impacted us at all. It wasn't like our customers don't really work, read the wall street journal or whatever it is. You know, like, <laughs> um, they were, I think it was an interesting take on what we do. I, I for one never really saw a huge 
culture shift in any of that. I mean, I, I worked every can sale from, from the beginning till COVID um, hit and we, now we don't really do them like we did before. Um, but you know, what, what really impacted our, our, I think what really impacted our business is when we get guys like you coming up, like doing a stout, doing a new sour, when we get guys, when we get Trillium down, when we get Monkish, when we get, you know, friends of ours across the United States coming in and where that don't come into New York. I think that's where the, the, the industry really shows and the, and the, and the desire to get the product really shows. Uh, people are excited, you know, and that was, that was a really fun thing that we always try to have something new on tap and something, you know, showcasing something from friends of ours as well. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely been a shift and and it's something I'm sure you've had to change along with us where it used to be where we would do a release and people would line up down the block. There'd be a thousand people in line waiting for a beer or people would camp out overnight. Yeah. I'd pull up at like six 30 in the morning to start opening and getting everything ready. And people have been like, out there just doing and, bottle shares and, and, and then they're all bags. trashed. Right. <laughs> yep. And I'm just like, wait, now I have to deal with you and money. Right. But then, but now because of the, the pandemic, everything has shifted business wise. Like those lines don't exist anymore. We've had to shift business models uh, multiple times. At least we have last year. And now those lines don't exist. We've had to go to online ordering, home delivery, uh, more to distribution, it's really it's been a complete shift in in the business model and just kind of changed the whole game. I, I mean, are you guys you guys have done the, uh, seen the same? I would believe. Yeah, uh, we definitely have. Like we don't. I mean, how are you supposed to have a line when you're socially distancing? We don't have enough. We don't have enough sideway sideway space. Um, but but it was nice during the pandemic. You know, switching to curbside and people just you know people were so excited. I think the the move of opening up the tap rooms and getting people in that was the next you know stage, and we just opened up to without our masks on and things like that where so it's getting back to normal and i think um i i don't know if, if there ever will be lineup for releases again um logistically and labor wise it's really hard to have these huge releases because you need 14 people to run the registers you need line control you need bouncers you need all stuff and now we just release a beer when it's ready and it makes life a lot easier for us um you know that being said who knows what's going to happen on this next big collab you know we don't right. We basically say a beer is released and it's ready to go. Like we can't, we are not hyping stuff as much as we did. We're not moving through things as like uh, having the same sort of uh, hype conversations that we had before. But uh, you know, that's the part where like we're not sure how what's going to happen next. Yeah, I don't know if anybody has the answer of where where that yeah. whole thing is going. You know, and I think we just kind of ride the wave out from here. Where do you where do you see like where do you see the industry going next? Like on on the beer front, where do you, where do you think we're heading, man? This is something that we have a lot of, you know, internal debates about as well. Like, you know, we just did that Roadhouse collab and it, it flew a logger, a logger flew, you right. know, and like, I don't think five years ago we could have said that. And um, no. I think there is, it's funny that there, I think there is a, we all think there's a trend for lower ABV stuff, but I don't know if that's factual or just something that we like. Um, there's still people who the double IPA still sell the best. Um, you know, I, I just, I, I don't know what, people are going to want. I think the biggest thing people want is variety. Right. Um, and they want to be able to go and have a, you know, a lime lager and they want to be able to buy a German style lager and they want to be able to have a double IPA and they want a seltzer and they want an adjuncted stout and they want, you know, um, you know, food and they want an event every couple months and they want tap takeovers and they just want stuff to, to be part of and do. To and look I think forward that's where to. Exactly. And I think that's where a lot of the stuff we're dealing, we're dealing with now is, is not necessarily like super hype based, 
but getting people what they want, which is, you know, doing some triple dry hop beers and then doing also a low ABV, you know, uh, incognito beer. Right. And then it's, you know, having a couple lagers and all that stuff. I think it's just so, you I, know, right. so different of what it was. No, I, like when we started, we had our two flagships and then it was like sours and stouts. But if we kept doing that nowadays, uh, we'd be old news. Like if you do not give a large variety of styles of beers that are done well, I, I don't think, you know, no one's going to remember you. You know, you have yeah. to do a lot. Of, like this year we're slated to do a ton of lagers. Like you said, five, five years ago, that wasn't even on my board. You know, that was nowhere in my mind. Like, yeah, we're going to do lagers. We do, you know, we brew a new lager every week. No, that, that was nowhere on my radar. And it's, it's funny to see how it's all come about and, and where we're going. You know, you know smoothie sours, uh, huge adjunct stouts. Now everybody, you see this trend to go back to clean, low ABV lagers or just low ABV sessionable beers. I mean, it's ever-changing, but, I mean, we always, I mean, that's the other game is just trying to keep up, man. You know, how can we keep up and, and stay relevant with the times that we're in? And it's, I think it's another thing that, you know, bur- you know, not burns me out, but just keeps driving me to, to have to be creative, 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 and create new, new, new. And I know that that's you guys as well, because you're always got to come up with something new all the time to stay relevant. I mean... Is that something you guys are seeing or no? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's just the trends change. And I think that, you know, I don't know. I just, you know, I, I, I think you and me talk offline all the time um, about what, what things are happening. And it's never really, you know, sure. I think it, it just, and then you throw into the mix COVID and you're really not sure what's supposed to happen. Right. And that's where I'm like completely lost. No, I know. No, it, it's, a, it's a guessing game for a lot of us. So, so through all this expansion, you know, four locations now. How do you guys keep your roots connected as like a community brewery? Yeah, I think that's one of our, our biggest, you know, you know, flags of bear as we go forward. Uh, we have really, what we really have tried to, to use is let our taproom staffs and our managers have a little bit more free will than they, they we would have thought five years ago, um, two years ago, or even six months ago, like uh, Andrea and Felipe up and who run our, upstate facility um basically you know she's like hey we're gonna do a a pick your own flowers and we're gonna do a a yoga night and we're gonna do this we're gonna do that and like or a a tie-dye night you know like this is this is you know this is not what i would have thought other half would be doing but in the same time you look at it like this is what a community organization up there does and needs and what people want is that what people in brooklyn want no people in brooklyn want uh, you know, a Wellworks collab and a, t- a takeover from Wellworks, you know, every right. six months and try juicy bits. Right. And so, and, and so do the people upstate, but it's like trying to figure out what the communities need is actually where we've really tried to start relying on our staffs. Um, you know, DC uh, does a, a, a yoga night on Wednesdays. There's 50 people that show up and do yoga on the roof. And it's really, it's kind of cool to see like the evolution of this and how each one has their own personality. And, and it's what the community calls for a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I think we're, we're just trying to get to that point. Um, so it's, it's definitely something that's on the forefront and how we do service and how we do, how we talk about it is, is, you know, really interesting and in how we evolve the company. I want to thank you for your time, man. I know you're a very busy man. Thank you for uh, taking some time out and, and talking to us. Any, and anytime uh, for you guys, 
I appreciate the time. I appreciate. I wish Maria talked a little bit more. But it's no, okay. This is, it's the beer hour with Jonathan Wakefield. We can talk later. Not, not now. You can now. You can tell your brother to keep taking your Peloton rides for you too. Yeah. Exactly. So. Wow. Um, we uh, definitely appreciate uh, all, all the friendship and all the the support no. that you guys have given us over the years. No. And um, you know, this is just another thing that we're we're happy that you're in the forefront of and getting information out to the public and and, and showing what our daily lives are like. Well, we love you guys, man. Thank you very much for your time, Andrew. All right. I'll talk to you later. Appreciate it, John. Bye. All right, later. Bye, guys. You're listening to The Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield. Conversations on the business of brewing and popular culture. My next guest on the show is DJ EFN. He has been a force in the hip-hop music industry since the early 90s. He's the founder of Crazy Hood Productions. He has worked as a producer of albums and mixtapes. He's also worked in A&R, marketing, promotions, and artist management. He's been a clothing retailer, film producer, Radio host, now a television host with his popular show, Drink Champs, which is a weekly podcast which he co-hosts with Nori, which is also carried by Sean Diddy Combs' Revolt TV Network. We recently brewed Make Some Noise, a Mexican-style lager with lime and salt, just for the show. I'd like to welcome to the Beer Hour, DJ EFN. How you doing, man? Man, I'm good, man. Thank you for having me here. And uh, just a note, we are actually in the tap room uh, while we are open, so we're having this uh, conversation, so... We're, we're live and direct, basically. We're drinking so. on, on solo. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> right on the carbonite table. Yeah. Thank you very much for coming out, no, man. I really appreciate you. it. Um, I wanted to first kind of kick this off. How old were you like, when the passion for hip-hop and everything kind of developed? Ooh, um, I think that, well, I was always into music. And then hip-hop just was gradually, you know, just becoming a part of the soundtrack. I think, like, for any kid growing up in the 80s, right. we're all break yes. dancers, we're all graffiti artists, but we just... You're watching Breaking right, 1, Breaking right. 2. Yeah, <laughs> you just don't know that it's all this bigger culture called hip-hop, you know, right. you're listening to the music. Um, it wasn't until about maybe when, maybe late 80s, early 90s, when NWA and Public Enemy hit the scene, and those groups just took me by storm. Like, I had never, you know, you had heard a lot of rap music at the time. Right. But nothing conveyed those emotions that those two groups did. And being that I was so into music, I, I loved the idea of music being attached to generations, you know, like a generation of Absolutely. people. Absolutely. So, you know, I would, listen, I would watch a lot of, like, Vietnam War movies because my dad was in the war. Right. And he wasn't around much, so that was kind of, like, my connection watching those movies. And you would, see, you would hear all the music from, like, the 60s and 70s. And, and you know, it was that generation, right? That and the, the hippie that music yeah. and all that stuff. So then, when to me, that's what like hip hop was like. Hold up, this is the music of my generation. And then NWA and Public Enemy were just that emotion, and I was like, oh wow, this is you know strong that, stuff. I mean, real hip hop, I right? Mean, I, I always say like music kind of like changed directions after '96, but <laughs> right, right, a totally different conversation yeah, yeah. for that one. Depending, yeah, you know, I mean, every generation has yeah. the right, they have their style or whatever. But that that's what those two groups is what really like got me into the idea of like, okay, this is the music of my generation. Um, I want to, I want in, you know, like I can, you know, and just as purely as a fanboy, like I was just right. like, I want to be a part of this movement. Um, and, and, and locally too. So, so that's what got me in, you know, and got me really, really passionate to find out also that it was more than music and that I was already living the culture was a big part of it as well. Yeah. I, I always ask craft brewers, like when they're on the show, like, you know, even if we're having a conversation, there was always one, song or for them it'd be one beer for right. me like back in the day it was one beer that changed my mind like hey this is cool i like drinking this but this is amazing i want to do something with it as a career right do you do you remember 
maybe what that was, that one group, that one song that took that from like, hey, this is great to listen to, but now this is something I want to do as a career with my life. Um, I mean, it would go just back to just this, those two groups and, you know, for NWA was straight out of Compton and fuck the police and, you dope know, man. Was, the dope man, like the easy, easy, you know, so like, <laughs> absolutely. And then Ice Cube, when he went solo, which, you know, we're pre-internet, we're pre-even getting magazines locally in Miami, hip hop magazine. Like right, source. right. So I, I remember I was visiting my family in LA. I went to a record store and the way you would find out about new music, you just go to the 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 rap track the rap right. rack you know right, right and whatever was new was the new music and I remember seeing an Ice Cube album and I was like Ice Cube America's Most Wanted he used to be part of the of the group yeah and I'm like hold up what is Ice Cube doing by himself and then I see on there that it, the the Bomb Squad which is Public Enemy's production team yes, produced they produced that Chuck D and all <sighs> that produced that yeah it was I was crazy. like oh man this is it it's crazy and to me that was holy, this flies attacking me bro I'm being attacked by the Air Force um but yeah those 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 that that album right there, America's Most Wanted, uh, changed everything for me, and that's that's was really that, that was uh, no Vaseline on that one. Uh, no, 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 no that, that one was, had uh, Where's the Mac and right. That was a that album had like thirty tracks on it. I had a bunch of tracks on it, but like I, like I said, it goes back to Public Enemy, N.W.A., and then Ice Cube was my favorite artist at the time, and so those that trifecta there is what I, I'm going to share that with serious. you because obviously I'm close to the same age. So for me, it was Public Enemy and Ice Cube. But for me, it was Death Certificate. Oh, that's the best album of all times, at <laughs> right. least hip-hop-wise, for sure. Steady Mobbing. And up there with all genres. Yeah. For me, it was that album. I mean, I love Ice Cube. I have since growing up. And Public Enemy. Um, those were really what got me in. That and, right. and LL Cool J. Right, right. You know, I mean, kind of even though it was kind of like back then, you know, with Mama Said Knock You Out and that whole track. But, I mean, it was that. Even, even that play-in was still great into the hip-hop scene. I mean, so... That's what kind of led you in, kind of going, that's where you got your start. I mean, where did you get your start at? Um, so everything I'm telling you now is like junior high. Right. I just want to be a fan of the music. Right. I mean, I had no other choice but to just be a fan. You know? Right, right. It's not like I had resources, a bunch of money. I couldn't right. even go to a bunch of shows or anything. I'm, I'm jacking music. I'm st- going to the store, <laughs> ripping the sensors <laughs> off. Or my friends are causing fake fights in the store. Right. so we can, Distraction. Yeah and, yeah. and so it was just... Again, being number one fan. And so as I'm finishing high school, and this is like 93, um, I'm like, all right, you know, I'm just really, I'm just really into the scene. I'm really into the culture. And then I, I just, but I felt Miami was, was still behind in terms of being respected as a, as a hip hop scene. Way back. Oh, yeah. But I felt like we had a lot, we had all the elements. We had like world renowned B boys, world renowned uh, turntablists, graffiti artists, everything. Right. But still, there was no respect for us, I felt, nationally. So that was my, my mission statement. I started my company, Crazy Hood Productions. I wanted to be a DJ. I was a DJ at heart. I had two pause tapes, and I would make mixtapes. But I didn't have the money to buy turntables yet. So I, caught, I started my company before I even had turntables. Wow. And, okay. And so the first, our whole mission was like, okay, we want to do whatever we can to prop up the local scene. Of course. And Grove Miami's yeah, hip-hop and, and it started with just doing events because at that time frame, early 90s, it might be hard to think of it, there wasn't clubs necessarily playing hip hop. No, what did you? I mean, the radio yeah. wasn't playing hip hop like that. No, the clubs down here were yeah, not playing hip hop. Even man. if there was a club in South Beach, maybe they wouldn't even let a hip hop kid what into was that, those clubs. Uh, Amnesia back then, or not even, then? not even, <laughs> yeah. And and so that was our thing. We would just do events. Uh, that was the the first foray into doing anything uh, with the company and ourselves. And then eventually, I got my turntables, right? And then I started to do mixtapes, and that's where I started to. 
to get notoriety yeah. and the brand started to grow and develop artists and produce artists and you know. and, and kind of grow from there. Yeah. All right. Here's a qu- question. Like, how's it grown over the 30 years? How's it changed even since the time you've been in since like the early 90s to now? The I mean, scene or my company? No, I mean, your company and the scene, you think? I mean, I mean, it's, it's two vast things. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, it's changed drastically. Yeah. I've, but I've always I've always understood that there's like cycles uh, with industry, with culture. And so I've always always anticipated those those cycles and that you and when you you're you don't have as many resources, money. Right. <laughs> you're always behind the ball. Always. You know, you got great ideas, but you can't finance them. And by the time those ideas get off the ground, the cycle that that turn changes, you know, the wave changes. And then you're like, damn, I, I just missed it again. No, no, I know that. I mean, it's like us been trying to expand for the last seven years and trying to build capital, trying to build capital get more money to do another place and it seems like if you don't do it fast enough you miss that cycle right and then if you do finally get that place is it too late you know what i mean right so i understand all that but i mean so the music the hip-hop industry as itself has definitely changed i mean you see it in the style of music now versus what it used to be right i mean for me being an old head now i mean what my kids listen to i'm like is this even really (laughs) hip-hop you know i mean but it's still good music i mean we listen to it but i mean what do you, I mean, do you think that scene's taken, I mean, it's a vast term from what it used to be, NWA, Public Enemy. Right. I mean, I think all music has suffered yeah. the same fate. It's not just hip hop. It's, it's, it's the internet. It's, you know, going back to Napster, what that kind of started and, and just the way we consume music now digitally, it changed, right. you know, when you don't have that physical copy in front right. of you, that right. changed. Right, you're not holding a CD, you're yeah. not holding a cassette tape. Right. The, the story's different. I, mean, I remember we would get that tape or that CD and you're reading every credit and you're getting like a glimpse into that person's life or at least you're imagining it. Right. They used to have the pictures and, the, you know, it, it would give you a show like of this. But now nowadays, I don't it's, know. It's different. But, you know, to not sound like an old head, I, I, there is a lot of great music. It's just so much of it. And what what the Internet and technology has done is everybody could be an artist. Right. Now. Right. Because like you said, like back in the day, I mean, you didn't have the Internet. You didn't have, like, stuff you can go download. You didn't have these magazines. Like, for me, it was like maybe a friend heard from his cousin over in Chicago right. about this song. And, like, hey, we, now we need to go get this tape. But now it's so readily available by just picking up your phone, opening your laptop. You can get whatever you want. Yeah. And there's just so much influx of different music. Like, how do you even pick and choose? You can't. I mean, I don't know how, I don't know how, how the kids are doing it. Like, I, like I can't imagine how. They're I throwing mean, a dart. Yeah, it's it's tough, man. I mean, I gravitate to certain things that I like, and I kind of stick with that for oh, a very long time. Exactly. I mean, I'm still playing the old school stuff, so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the way it is. Um, so, for those that you don't know, you have a show with Nori. Drink Champs, right. Drink Champs. When when did this start, and what is the concept behind this behind the show itself? We're currently in our sixth year, which is um, crazy to us, because it was a little side hustle when we started it, or the idea right. of starting it. Um, the original idea goes kind of predates doing drink champs doing podcasting which was we had a show on xm before sirius xm merged right um we had a show that we did out of my studio in kendall and we would send to xm their their studios in washington dc and then they merged and we did a show on sirius xm and we did that for like three years and it sounded it looked and sounded just like drink champs uh less guests because not many people were going to go to kendall to to join our show (laughs) Well, Maria, Maria drives every day to work, so yeah, I think she understands. I'm that, still right, in Kendall. It's I'm fine. Yeah. I mean, it's fine. I like where we live. Okay, everyone I, always says, "Oh, I you're look, going to the Keys, no, or you're no, going I'm to like, Homestead." No, I, I'm like, hey, like you know, how's the Redlands? You know what I mean? 
<laughs> the Redlands is far from Kenton. I know, yeah. I know, I know. You know, <laughs> but I mean, you know, I live in North Miami, He's so just it's trying like to give you know, me crap about yeah, yeah. But right, like I being more centrally located now in Winwood, I'm sure you draw a lot more. Draw as like far I mean, as like uh, people want to come here. Oh yeah, 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 Kendall, yeah. I so. mean, I'm never gonna make drink champs go to Kendall again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nah, I, w- I mean, if I could, I would. But no, I mean, we we've always I've always gravitated towards Winwood. I mean, Winwood just to go back a little bit oh. was always a hub of the local hip hop scene. Going back before Winwood was Winwood the way we know it today, when Winwood was straight up the hood. Oh, Not yeah. to say that it's it's still kind of the hood. Oh yeah, but you know when it was really the hood, you know and 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 Zulu Nation was heavy out here, and and uh, DJ Raw and the Knockout Posse, and these guys were street dudes throwing street jams, and and we were out here all the time in the right. early to mid nineties. Yeah, people people see Winwood now, and they think, wow, it must have been like this forever. But they have no idea or really understand like what it really used to be like. Right. I mean, this was the hood, but now it's like you know we got high rises, we got apartment complexes, we got nightclubs, we got restaurants, right. we got you know it's definitely changed. So so what is the whole concept behind Drink Champs itself? The idea was to allow uh, listeners in on conversations that were happening backstage in the studio um, when we were just drinking and just talking kind of frankly. Right. And that was the idea. And that's why there's the liquor part of it, because we were doing that. Um, And that was that was just that was the concept, you know, invite our friends or people that we're already cool with and just have these open conversations we're having behind closed doors and allow the guest. I mean, the the listener to be like the fly on the wall. That's that's awesome. I mean. I did catch, uh, I think, the last one. You did one with Belly, and the one before that was uh, Swiss and, uh, and uh, Timbaland, right? Yeah. So it's basically, I mean, <laughs> but you have everything on there. You got craft beer on there. You got spirits. I mean, are you the only craft beer drinker on there? I believe. I mean, there's been some guests that are, that are beer drinkers. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, between me and Nori, it's just me. Yeah. And then that's why we kind of got into the hub. I mean, it was basically how long have you been into craft beer? I mean, you enjoy beer. I mean. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to be honest. Like, I still feel like I'm new to beer. Right. I was always any of my my boys that have been rolling me forever would say I'm a hypocrite at this point because I used to diss them drinking beer. Right. I would be like, why would I drink that? Then I got to go to the bathroom all the time. And then I'm going to get this (laughs) beer belly. I just want hard liquor and just just get straight to the point. And that was my whole concept of like I wasn't drinking beer. And and I just and at first I didn't like the taste of beer originally, you know I drank it when I was a kid and right. we were drinking the quartz or whatever, right. but I met my girl in L.A. Um, and she was into beer and craft beer and she's well, just into the, beer. The, in the scene in L.A. and craft beer scene is yeah. And then on top of that, that my friends and family out there were drinking micheladas, so that's another kind of like that was the gateway beer drug for right me. of course you know like right. the micheladas and so I was like oh man this is kind of this is, I like this stuff. And, and so between her and my family that got me into micheladas, I started to drink more beer. And then my girl was like, look, I, you know, you should drink more beer. In her mind, it's healthier than what I was doing. I argue that You're it's right. not I as healthy. You. I hear well, no, right, because there's like calorie versus like not calorie. I mean, like, Or you know, the amount taking. of consumption. Right, right. She right. might not be drinking as much beer, but once I get into beer, right. I'm drinking you need a more. lot of it. You need more. <laughs> and, and so that's what got me into beer. And I'm still developing my taste for what my beer is for me. And, you know. Right. I'm into IPAs and lagers, whatever. You know, I don't, I don't know that quite yet. My thing is the first beer I have of the day is the beer that I like that day. Of course. That's of the course. way I drink beer. I mean, typically, I mean, right, that's what you start with. I mean, that's what you finish with. Right. I mean, speaking upon that, we also, with the Mecheladas, it was also why we kind of segued into doing that make some noise for you so that you could take that 
which is an excellent beer, by the way. That Mexican-style lager, and then mix and make your own micheladas, which I think is, is a great jump-off point. You're listening to the Beer Hour, and we're talking to DJ EFN. We did that one for that purpose. I mean, but that is, there's, but we added... Lime and salt. Right, we already added lime and salt into that beer so that we got, you know... You can exclude that from the addition at the end, or you can add more if you want. Right. But I think it's a great concept overall. I mean, I think beer and hip-hop go great together, but that might be my own you know, perception. No, it does. It goes really well. Yeah. And, and I've been encountering, since I've introduced beer on Drink Champs, because early on I hadn't, I wasn't drinking that much beer, um, I've been exposed and, and communicating with a lot of people within the hip-hop community that are very passionate about beer. Oh, Crowns and Hops. Right, right. T.O. Yeah, Crown and yeah. Hops. Uh, beer Culture. Um, a bunch of people. And, uh, and, and it's really amazing how much there's, a, there's a, like a hip-hop beer community. Oh, it's growing like every day. I mean, the percentage of like black-owned breweries still in the United States is super small. And the percentage of like colored beer drinkers is small. But it is growing at such a large rate. It's, it's unbelievable, which is a good thing. More and more people are getting into that and understanding beer. I mean, craft beer to me is is for everybody. Yeah. But I mean, it hits so many different palates. Like you said, I mean, you're still learning. You're going from IPAs or you know, or getting into stouts or log, you know, lagers, ambers, whatever it might be. You know, it, there's something out there for everybody. Right. Just same thing with music. So to me, it, it goes well together. I'm having a tough time with the sours, to be honest with you. <laughs> It, it feels it's like not, a, it's not for everybody. It feels like how you say maybe in hip hop, like oh, that's not hip hop anymore. I feel right. like that's not beer anymore. <laughs> you know? If you, I mean, it depends how you take it. Like sours, I mean, for certain people, shouldn't be a beer style. For others, they love it because of, you know it's it's tart and reminds them of maybe some candy they've they've eaten when they were kids. So right. it it kind of brings that back. But I mean, it's for us down here. It was me. It was like living in Miami. And brewing beer in Miami was, for me, it was incorporating a beer with all the fruit that we grow locally. I mean, we got so much stuff down here from mangoes to guava to, right. uh, you know, passion fruit, everything. And it was trying to put that into a beer. Well, I'm not going to put that really into a stout or a lager or anything like that. But I'm going to do it in a sour. And people actually really took to it because it's not very high alcohol. But now it's got a ton of f- flavor. Mm-hmm. So it, it really, we see people come in and, men women doesn't matter right and they love that style and it's easy to drink and because so damn hot down here but i mean it's just something that's an easy gateway i mean for for really for wine drinkers more i would say it's it's definitely an acquired taste and your palate changes over time like you'll notice you're drinking a lager now but the same way that you drink a lager you drank that welcome to kendall which right. is an ipa right, right so your palate is going to evolve over time i didn't start drinking you know, heavy stouts, when I first started getting into craft beer, I drank the lighter stuff, the Hefeweizen, the, the very kind of like, like you said, the gateway drug. Right. That's what I did. Yeah. Even now, sours for me, I love how they taste, but I can't drink too much of them. No, it, you get super full quickly. Yeah. 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 I mean, plus uh, heartburn. <laughs> yeah. The pH is <laughs> the so acid, low. It's like, you're drink, it's like candy. Like, yeah, yeah. it's, yeah. it's, it's candy. too much candy. Whoa, right, I can't right. have too much of yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, that's... But that's, uh, honestly, if we talked about, like, the change in hip-hop, there's been a change in beer and the change in the palate of people that people want basically, like, candy in a glass. So you got to make it like candy. So, like, the stouts need to be like a dessert. They need to have coconut and vanilla and almonds or something in it. And the sours need to have all this fruit to where it tastes like a fruit slushy instead of beer. So it's kind of, like, morphed into this new, this new being, but it... It's part of the game. Everything changes into 
you know, what it is now. You know, people change, their palates change, and the, you know, it's kind of like where we're at now. It's just, it's where we've gone. It's cyclical. Right. Just like you said, but like hip hop, it's, but like, got right. it's right. But like, it's coming back around. Yeah. You know, loggers used to be the thing back in the day. They're coming back. Right. Because people are probably getting tired of all the candy and all the sugar and the diabetes and going back to, we just want to drink straight beer. Right. So, I mean, that's kind of where we're at now, I, th- I think. What what can we look forward to f- from you, Crazy Hood, this summer coming up? What do we, what do we got now that we're out of the pandemic? Now, that, I mean, all that's done. Where are we heading now? Uh, well, obviously, Drink Champs is still going. We're strong. Of course. We're on our sixth year, and doesn't look like we'll stop at any time soon. Um, besides that, for myself and Crazy Hood, I have this film series that I've been doing for, for several years now. Um, it's a documentary, like a travel documentary series. Okay. Uh, I went to Cuba in 2012, and I'm Cuban-American. Okay. And I wanted to visit my parents' homeland, uh, although it was very taboo for, for someone of my generation to <laughs> go, my parents. Especially coming out of My Miami. family was very against right, right. it. Yeah, of course. But I wanted, you know, I held off for a long time, but I was like, all right, I want to go now. And this is before Obama went, before they opened it up a little bit. And so we went, and I wanted to film the the whole trip, and then I, re- I found out that there was these amazing hip-hop artists and an amazing hip-hop scene, so we filmed the whole experience, and it basically was a hip-hop, like a travel hip-hop documentary. Oh, wow. And I was already a fan of Anthony Bourdain. Of course. And I loved the way that he utilized his expertise in food to create these conversations and to learn about a country. It wasn't a, it wasn't a food show, and it wasn't just a travel no, show. No, no, I mean, it was... It was a combination of it all, but it was really him getting in depth to wherever he went and, yeah. like, diving in. Use the common denominator yep. to open up the convo. And that's what I felt that maybe I could do that using hip-hop. After that first film, it got pretty good reviews, and, and a lot of people liked it. And we got picked up by Puffy's Revolt TV when they launched. Oh, nice. It was the first original acquisition before Drink Chance for Everything. Oh, wow. And so I was like, I, I, I like this. I want to do this, more of this. And so we started the series from that point on. And after that, we went to Peru. We went to Haiti. Oh, wow. Um, okay. I went to Vietnam. I went to the battlefields where my dad fought as a Marine in Quezon, which I never in a million years would have thought. thought. Watching those old right, war right, right, movies, right, of course. I never would have thought as a kid You'd I would never be, be there. in Vietnam. That, wow. You know, um, and this is all hip-hop. Like, hip-hop is taking me into these places. Went to Colombia. We just wrapped up on South Africa. And we, we have six films right now. Four of them were released, uh, aired, uh, better said, on Revolt TV. We own all the, it was licensed, so we own all the films. And right now we're repackaging them. Two have not been released, Colombia and South Africa. And we're looking forward to new productions. And we just partnered up with uh, LL Cool J and Rock the Bells, which I'm, I'm barely announcing. And I'm still, I'm, oh. I'm old school. I don't oh. like to talk about right, certain course. things until, not like, letting the cat out the until bag you yet. see the right. stuff in fruition versus talking about my partner. Right, you're not trying to hype it up too much. Right, right. right. Which right. all it means is that he's on board to help, you know, take it to places. Um, but that's, that's a big, you know, it's a big passion project of mine and, and something that I'm, I'm really. That, that's actually, uh, that's way. pretty awesome. I mean, that, that hip hop has taken you to all these places all and these, opened yeah. these doors. Yeah. I mean, that, that's to me is amazing. I mean, so you're bas- basically saying you're the, uh, Anthony Bourdain. Of I mean, that's, army. that's a big shoe to fill, <laughs> uh, but, but he's definitely a big inspiration in terms of how I respect the places that I go to, you know, any, uh, you don't want to let the cat out the bag. What, what, what might be the next stop on the, uh, the film venture? Oh, I don't know, man. I mean, personally, if you ask me, I want yeah. to go to Mongolia. 
Really? I want to go to some places that we would never, the last place we would expect hip hop, but I know it's everywhere. Of like, course. You know, um, we want to do uh, the, the film series called Coming Home because of the first one being Cuba, being my kind of coming home. But uh, it's coming home, Native America. I want to go to the reservations. Oh, with okay. The, here in, in Canada. And, 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 you know, explore the hip-hop scene in the reservation. And, then talk, and really explore the reservations through hip-hop. It's not really their hip-hop scene. Because you could never do a documentary, a comprehensive one, about a hip-hop scene in any country or no. any place. No. But it's utilizing that scene to give us, they're like our tour guide into their country. We're going to have to load you up on some beer, though, and take with you while you go to Absolutely. Let's do it, man. Because <laughs> beer is everywhere as well. Yep. So, that, I mean, like I said, I think it's a great pairing, hip-hop and beer. So uh, we, uh, we look forward to continue working with you on Make Some Noise. Hopefully we can keep making that happen. Yeah, we are. Definitely. And we can maybe open the road for uh, some other variations of the hip-hop beer. Let's do it. And uh, thanks for coming on the show, man. I appreciate your time. Thanks, brother. thanks brother. Thank you, man. And that's it for this week. I'd like to thank my guests, Andrew Berman and DJ EFN, my co-host, Maria Cabre, and my producer, Rocco Riggio. Thank you so much for listening. We have a new time slot. We're now on each Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Business Radio 132. You can also find repeat episodes on Pandora Podcasts. And also remember, the thirst is real.